So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to basically page one. We're going to be reading out of Genesis chapter one. Guess what page it's on in your Gideon Bible? That's page three. Psych, uh, table of contents. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Hey, uh, y'all, y'all may not know this, but we have some friends from Denton Chi Alpha here. We all So y'all say hi to them afterwards. They're here to see how Chi Alpha should not be run. So, praise God. You can learn from anybody. Like, you watch the money go, I'm not doing that. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 27 and 28. So, here we go. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, and I hope that's okay with you. If it's not, no one cares. Um, the Gideon is in the NKJV, right? The, the New King James? Did somebody say that? I'm just imagining things. Never mind. <laughs> hey, what happens when you give a Bible nerd a mic? They just go into tangents about translations. No one cares, Scroggins. All right, anyway, the Bible. All right, back to Jesus. Here we go. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's pretty cool. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, you are so good and so kind to us. Thank you for being the amazing and loving Father that you are. Jesus, we just ask that you come and join us. Holy Spirit, we surrender our hearts and minds to you. Lord, we want you to take the throne of our hearts. Lord, we want you to put your finger on the things in our lives that need to change. God, convict us of sin and convict us of righteousness. Lord, we trust you. Amen. Amen. So, um, have you ever seen or known someone that was like incredibly focused on one goal for like their whole life? Right? I'm not one of those people. Um, I have encountered a few, and they're just weird. They're like almost unsettling. You know what I mean? Right? Um, when I think of people like this, I typically think of athletes. Right? And there's one athlete in particular that comes to my mind. It's the American soccer folk hero, Clint Dempsey. Right there. Right? The deuce. None, none of y'all know who he is. He's awesome, right? That's Clint. That's my boy, right? So Clint Dempsey grew up in Nacogdoches, Texas. Do you know where that is? Yeah, I call it Sack of Roaches because it's a terrible place, right? But Dempsey, Dempsey grew up playing on those dirt fields, right? But, but like the local talent, they all recognize this kid's another level, right? You know what I mean? Like there's some people you're like, I'm not on the same block as that kid. Dempsey was on like another planet from the other kids. You know what I'm saying? Right? And that was him. And his parents noticed this and recognized, hey, he's got the talent to really go somewhere with soccer, which would be amazing, right? Who doesn't want to get paid millions of dollars to play a kid's game? I'm down for that, right? So his parents and him, they sacrificed a ton to get him to play at higher and higher levels. They would drive up to four hours one way just to get him to soccer practice to play for the top clubs in Dallas, right? Because Nacogdoches is in the middle of nowhere, much like San Angelo, but it's worse. I'm I'm telling you, if you went there, you'd just be like, I wanna leave, I wanna leave right now. Mommy, I'm scared, someone come and get me. 
sack of roaches for you. Anyway, um, so imagine, like, just to go to soccer practice, you're driving four hours there, you play your practice, and then four hours back, eight hours of your day is gone. How much do you think it cost him in gas money? How many birthdays did he miss? How many school events did he miss? Right? How many hanging out with his friends times did he miss? That's a weird way to phrase that, Scroggins. But there we are. I can't go back and take it back. So Clint ends up getting, uh, uh, he ends up getting uh, a scholarship to play in college. Right? He, that's awesome. He got free college. And then he went on and got drafted into Major League Soccer. Right? The, the league that all of you are familiar with. But then at the young age of 23, he was recognized as being supremely talented. So a club from England paid a lot of money to buy out his contract and hire him to play soccer for them. And that's my beloved Fulham right there. Right? Fulham FC, the Craven Cottage. Right, the Cottagers. Man, I love them. If you ask what is Scroggins doing obscenely early on a Saturday, it's watching this team play in England. I just, and they're in the second division. They're not even like the top. You know what I mean? That's like somebody in Japan waking up at 5 a.m. to watch Angelo State play football, right? That's the level of stupid I am. But I love this. And he went on to become a beloved player. He's like a club icon. In fact, one of the goals he scored, which I wanted to play a video of, but I quickly realized none of you would care, right? Was a chip against the greatest team in Italy, Juventus, right? That's like the most famous club in Italy. And he scored a goal against them and beat them in a semifinal match. And it was amazing, right? Uh, and here, this picture is one of my favorites, okay? Clint Dempsey, determined, single-minded, focused his whole life, drove him to higher and higher heights. Not only did he play at elite levels of the club, but also he played for the national team, which you see right there. Okay, right there. What this is, right, is Clint kicking a penalty against Mexico. And if you look at his hands, in one hand he's holding out two fingers, and the other hand he's making a fist for zero. It's because he missed the penalty on purpose to make sure that we be beat Mexico dos a cero, which is like our chant against them. That's our way to dunk on Mexico in soccer. He missed... And the amazing thing is him missing this penalty meant that he didn't become the sole record holder for, for a number of goals for the national team. He's tied. That's how much he loves dunking on Mexico. <laughs> he didn't want the record if it meant that we would beat him 3 nothing because he wants the fans to be able to scream to, you know, dos a cero. And it means nothing to you, but it means everything to me. Do you understand this? That man is my hero. I love him. Right? You can just get on YouTube and he's like, you know, uh, what's the polite way of saying that? He's kind of a jerk on the field. Let's say that. He likes to wind people up. You know what I'm saying? You've met those people. You know the trash talkers? Like when you play intramurals? That's him. Like cranked up to 11. This dude, right? He also, not only is the joint goal scorer record holder for the U.S. men's national team, but he also scored the fastest goal in World Cup history for the men's national team. In 2014, he scored against Ghana in 23 seconds. The dude was dedicated, right? It was incredible. This guy's life was all about soccer. In fact, one of my favorite quotes by him was, 
Man, all I want to do is score goals and go fishing. That's all his life is about. Hey, Clint, are you scoring goals today? No. Going fishing? Yep. That's him. That's his life, right? Could you imagine a guy from Naka Nowhere, Texas, that loves fishing, living in England, playing soccer? Right? It sounds like a story that someone would make up for Lifetime TV. This guy, like, the focus that it would take from such a young age, like, he had this purpose. He knew he was made to score goals and go fishing. And he did it. Right? He retired um, as a club icon for both Fulham and the Seattle Sounders, as one of the greatest players, arguably the best player that's ever put on the jersey for the United States national team. Awesome. He played in three World Cups. Incredible life and career. But when he retired, what do you think he was left with? Just fishing. Have you ever been fishing? Pretty boring. When I was a kid, they used to have fishing TV shows. So you like watch fishing. You're not even fishing yourself. Could you imagine that? What kind of moments do you have? What kind of like existential crisis does that send you into? I'm not fishing. I'm watching fishing. And that show has an editor that's got to take out all the footage that's too boring for that? Anyway. Poor guy. But in some ways, I'm kind of jealous of guys like Clint Dempsey and people that are focused like that. You know, have a driving purpose at their heart. Because how many of us just go through life looking for some grand purpose? Right? Something that could inspire us to get out of bed in the morning. Something that could, could really like drive us to live a dedicated life like that. To have such meaning behind everything you do. That's crazy. And many people in the world, the vast majority of us, get up in the morning simply to, I don't know, go to work and put food on the table. Or get up and go to class so you can get a good job. I mean, sure, that's noble. But that can't be what all of life is about, right? In fact, like, how many movies or stories can you think of where the main character wakes up one day and goes, is this really what life is all about? There's a ton of them, right? One of these movies is like The Matrix, right? Not the, not the, the sequel that just came out. Did you watch that? Trash. Trash. I slept through it. It was horrible. But in the original one that came out when I was much younger than I am now, um, the whole plot gets started by the main character realizing that his life isn't about just going to work. He realizes that his life is actually meant for something greater. So what if I, like Morpheus in The Matrix, told you, who would be Neo in this scenario, that there was more to life? What if I told you there was great purpose for you? Be pretty cool. Or not. I, judging by your reaction, nobody's enthused by that, okay? <laughs> Go back to your lives, everybody. Have fun. Being bored, I guess. I think the issue is that many of us think that our great purpose in life, or the purpose in life that we search for, rather, 
Many of us think that that purpose is about us. So we search within ourselves for something meaningful. And guys, we're just not that. You know, I'm just not that cool to find something meaningful about myself. And that's not like a negative thought, that's just reality, right? Wait, here's what it's actually about, right? All of human history is not actually about us. It's about God and his kingdom. This is the overarching purpose behind all that happens in the world. All that has happened and all that will happen is about this one thing. It is about God establishing his kingdom. And God growing his kingdom on the face of the earth. And that is what our purpose is about. It's not about you doing anything. It's about God doing something and you participating. And that's the thing that blows my mind. Did you know that God has given it to us to rule and subdue the earth? Does that freak anyone else out? Like, I'm not disciplined to, like, put my pants on in the morning, you know? Like, gosh. But in Genesis chapter 1, in the verses we read earlier, the language that God is using here, the language of rule and subdue, the language of, of master and conquer things, is the language of royalty. In ancient Near East cultures, rulers would use this language to denote their authority. You would know they were in charge by the way they talked. And in order for God's kingdom to expand, according to the Bible, he delegated part of this mission to us. That's crazy. And then he goes on, as part of this commission is a blessing, a part of participating in his kingdom, a part of ruling and subduing over the earth is a blessing of being fruitful and increasing in number. So somehow ruling and subduing is tied in with producing and replicating. But what are we producing and replicating? Well, originally we can read, if, if uh, this is your first time through the Bible, it's really important to get the first couple pages down. Okay, like at least get page like one through five down. Um, otherwise you'll be really confused the rest of the story. Okay. But originally we can read and we can see that we were a representative ruler in God's stead. We represented his authority here on earth. And it was our task to oversee the expansion of God's kingdom on the earth. And the way that God expresses what's happening is there's a juxtaposition between the chaos of the world where life can't function, where life doesn't happen, where things are horrible. Versus where God is ruling, where life is. And it was our job to be here on the earth and push back the boundaries of chaos so that beauty and order in life can exist. On top of that, in ancient Near East cultures, the one that would represent the king were usually related to the king. So... Not only is there a commission of purpose in here, but there's also an, an admission of belonging. We are a part of God's family. Yeah. Chi Alpha, I feel like we do family really well. 
Guys, I, I really do. I think that we have done a good job of loving one another. But the one thing I don't think we've done well is this army side of things. This representative ruler side of things. I'm so proud of us. I'm very grateful that, you know, before we invite someone into a community, you want to make sure the community is worth inviting people into, right? You know, you don't want to invite somebody to a party that sucks, right? <laughs> so we've done a good job of loving one another and inviting people into something worth being a part of. But I don't know if we've done a good job of inviting as many as we can. And I'm just trying to be honest. Sorry to be a bummer. But what else would you expect from me? Yeah. The language of... Thank you, Megan. I know it was you. I don't even know what up. But the language of God's blessing and commission sounds aggressive, right? It's army. God is building a family and an army at the same time. And as the language of rule and subdue, it sounds aggressive to our modern ears. Because part of that purpose that God has woven into the fabric of reality is that we're not meant to simply be just one big family where we hold hands and sing kumbaya as we roast marshmallows over a campfire. No, part of that purpose is to rule, subdue, be fruitful, and multiply. And this may trouble some of you, but we cannot overlook something simply because it makes us uncomfortable. Because here, here it is. If you don't hear anything else, get this. Here's the bottom line. And, and also, tangentially, if you've ever felt like you stagnated in your walk with Jesus, this is why. Okay? What God does through you, he wants to do, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. Why have I not grown in the Lord? Because you're not letting him do through you what he's already done in you. And this is part of the deal. God has created a, a beautiful community among us. Now let him create a beautiful community through us. We have a family, but now we need a little bit more army. So I'm going to talk through the different parts of this commission that God has given us, the purpose that he's given us, right? The rule to do, the fruitful, fruitful and multiply. And the first thing we're going to hit is the rule and subdue thing, right? And there's two applications. One is a personal application and the other is a global application. And Ryan's hit on this a bit um, last week. So some of this may be retread, but... Repetition is the price of knowledge. Repetition is the price of knowledge. With the rule and subdue aspect, in the personal application, we would call this real relationships. Right? And real, not necessarily meaning authentic. The real would mean self-initiated. Right? Does... Does someone have to like cattle prod you into talking to somebody about Jesus? 
Does someone have to bother you and annoy you to talk to your friends about what, is, what God is speaking to you or doing in your heart? If so, then you don't have real relationships. They're not self-initiated. They may be genuine, but they're genuinely shallow. In Luke 15, we find a series of parables, and, and it ends with this one. It's the parable of the father's heart. Some would call it the prodigal son. But this parable, don't be deceived by terrible Bible translators' titles. They also don't divide up the chapters well, BT dubs. First one out the gate, they ruin it. Hate it. Genesis chapter 1. The story ends in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And I, I just, it kills me. Just right there. Just ruined it. Way to go. Anyway. Tangents that no one cares about. Number two, sorry. Okay. Um, in Luke 15, we have the parable of the father's heart. It's not about the prodigal son. It's about the father's heart in his response to the son. See, the father of the prodigal son was out every day searching the hills. He's straining, imagine him straining his eyes to the horizon, hoping beyond hope that one day he would see the small silhouette of his son crest that hill on his way to return home. And that's how God felt about you. That's what God did for you. See, once you were lost and your father sought you out. And he has purposed you to go and do the same for others. Because what he does in you, he wants to do through you. You see that? You see, there's other prodigal sons out there. There's prodigal daughters out there. And the father's searching the hills by himself. Who will go to the hills and help? We are supposed to go out into a chaotic and broken world to rule and subdue it. The global application, we call this find. Find. We're, we were supposed to go out, remember, and push back the borders of chaos. But let me ask you, what is more chaotic and broken than someone's heart when they don't have Jesus? Do you remember what your life was like before Jesus? Before you started rule, living under the rules of the kingdom and living how Jesus designed you to live? Do you remember? Our relationships are meant to help people encounter the kingdom of God because life without Jesus is chaotic and broken and God's kingdom would bring order and beauty into it. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. The church way of saying this is evangelism. But it's simply just having our lives encounter the lives of others. To help them see in our small, limited, and crude way the love of God. That our Father in Heaven loves them so much that we are sent to them. We can tell them, your father in heaven is straining his eyes to see you. He wants nothing more than for you to come back home. 
The next part of our purpose is to be fruitful. In personal application, we would call this a real devotional life. Real devotional life, right? Often in the church world, we'll talk about fruit as numerical, right? We'll say, oh, that ministry has, you know, 5,000 people in it. That's a lot of fruit. Look at the fruit of that ministry. But the Bible doesn't talk about people like that. Because people are produced. But the Bible does talk about fruit in a different way. Let me help you set the stage. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And she doesn't like going to the well because that's where she gets publicly shamed and mocked for being a little bit floozy. And Jesus is speaking to her. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You see, there was a time in your life, I don't know if you remember it, but there was a time in your life where you were drinking out of wells that left you thirsty. Do you remember those days? When you're trying to fill up your heart with stuff that just wasn't big enough. And then along comes Jesus. And you begin to have a relationship with him. A devotional life. A real, self-initiated, devotional life. Where no one has to bother you, beg you, text you, ask you, call you. Did you read your Bible today? No. It just wells up within you, the desire to be with him. And then that eternal life is there, and you're not searching for things that are just going to leave you dry and thirsty again. And why is this important? Because you, it, it's important because you can't give what you don't have. Right? The global application of this is feed. We have find and we have feed. Because God has designed you to be fruitful. You will produce fruit. The only question is what kind of fruit are you going to produce? So Jesus says to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That means that we turn away from the lives of chaos and brokenness that we pursue and submit to our king and live by the rules that he established. Because remember, his eternal perspective, way better than ours. That's repentance. It's pretty simple. Paul explains it a little bit more in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Yikes. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, you're either going to produce one type of fruit or the other. And if you're drinking from the well of Jesus, guess which one it's going to be? And this lines up with even some stuff we talked about this weekend. If you were here for uh, Peter Pignon's um, mental health workshop, which was fantastic. And we're trying to get that audio up. Um, It'll be on like the, the sermon podcast as soon as we can. But Peter talked about overcoming addictions and bad habits. You remember somebody wrote that question and sent it in. And he talked about behavioral replacement. You don't just stop something. You have to replace it. So God gives us the fruit of the Spirit to replace the cheap fruit of the flesh in a chaotic stupidity. And then what God does in you, he wants to do through you. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. See, it's given us to help those in our lives produce the fruit of God. This is the fruit. When we talk about ministries being fruitful, this is what we should talk about. This is what we should mean. Not numbers, but character. That ministry is fruitful. They act like Jesus. That ministry is really fruitful. They are patient and forgiving. Not gossipy and backbiting. Amen? This one's for free, by the way. Broken people break people. Hurt people hurt people, right? So if somebody's broken you, it's probably because they're broken themselves. That helps me be forgiving. So I just want to throw that one out there. But this is part of the commission that God's given us. Not only to go out and find people, but also to feed them, to help them, to connect them with God. And you can't give what you don't have. So you, growing the fruit of Christ, will help other people grow the fruit of Christ. Another way of saying this that maybe fits our modern sensibilities a little bit better, spiritual disciplines. That's what we call it. It's basically, we're we're helping those around us, those that God has entrusted to us. We're helping them understand about prayer, fasting, studying the scriptures. Walking in the same manner as our king. First you must have that real self-initiated devotional life. And then for the world around you, you have to feed the lost lambs of God. The last part of the great purpose that God has asked us to join in is to increase in number. Or if your translation might say multiply. Personally, we would call this real responsibility. Self-initiated responsibility. And this one, forgive me, this is going to be harsh. Do you care about the people around you? And I don't just mean how are they feeling today? But how are they going to feel in eternity? There's a story 
I told myself I wouldn't tell, to say this, but I'm going for it. Whatever. There's a story of a man that was convicted of a crime in England in the 18, late 1800s. And he was condemned to hang. And there was an Anglican priest that was sent to a cell on the day that he was supposed to be hung. And, and he was reading to him the last rites. And the criminal stopped him in the middle of it. And he goes, sir, if you believed a single word that you said, you would crawl across the length of England on your hands and knees over broken glass to win one person. Do you believe that there is a real hell and a real heaven? Are you willing to take responsibility for that person that sits next to you in class? Are you willing to care about that person that walks past you on the way to, to the UC? Here's what the Bible says about that, <clears throat> as if this hasn't been fun enough. Ezekiel chapter 3. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and that's the Lord speaking, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin. But you have saved yourself. We can sum all this up in one simple phrase. Knowledge equals responsibility. Knowledge equals responsibility. Some of you have great knowledge of God. And you have a, a lot of knowledge about heaven and hell and the gospel. To quote Nacho Libre, they don't think I know a lot about the gospel, but I do. <laughs> Some of you are like that, but you refuse to take responsibility. You have to be cajoled. You have to be goaded. You have to be pressed. And look, not... The Lord is not asking you to go stand up somewhere and scream at the top of your lungs until a thousand people get saved. That's called a miracle, okay? Like, it's notable in the Bible, a book full of miracles, because it's a miracle. All the Lord's asking is that you simply love one person. Are you willing to take responsibility for someone, anyone, Knowledge equals responsibility. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. In our global application, we call this fight. Find, feed, fight. So you're personal. The way that this commission applies to you personally. Real relationships, real devotion, real responsibility. The way this applies through you to the world, find, feed, fight. Do you see that? Yeah. 
Because what God does in you, he wants to do through you. Because the kingdom of God was never meant to stop with you. It wasn't meant to stop with Adam and Eve in Genesis. And it's not meant to stop with you now. I mean, you could just flip to almost any page in the New Testament. Right? In the first chapter of John, we have Philip is just like walking around. And then Jesus says, follow me. And then Philip goes, runs, and finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathan asked. Come and see, said Philip. Jesus said to Philip, come and see. Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. Andrew introduces his brother, a guy named Peter. You might, might have heard about him. He's mentioned in the Bible a handful of times. He introduced him to Jesus. We have Paul traveling on countless missionary journeys all over the known world, shipwrecked three times. And countless numbers of missionaries that have gone out across the globe all throughout history because they took responsibility for what they knew. Because God has revealed himself to you because you know you have a responsibility to tell the world around you about Jesus. Because what God does in you, he wants to do through you. Have I said it enough? So your purpose isn't about you. The thing that should get you out of bed in the morning isn't about you. It's about God and his kingdom. Your purpose is to help multiply the citizenship of heaven by taking responsibility for the world around you. We are both God's family, but we are also his army here on earth. He has entrusted it to us to do this work. He has commissioned us with a great purpose. If a man like Clint Dempsey, some trailer park redneck from nowhere, Texas, can sacrifice so much for so long for a silly game where you kick a ball, How much more should we sacrifice for the purpose that God has created us for? And have the worship team come up. So my challenge to all of us is in your friendships that you have, in the relationships that you have, that you go find the wayward children of God. You feed them by sharing the character and nature of God and you fight for them through loving them in the same way that God loves you. Find, feed, fight. And if you're in this room, you're somewhere in that process. You're either find, feed, and fight For someone else, or someone is find, feed, or fight for you. And what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. From the beginning of time, 
There's a long line of men and women of God that have discovered this great purpose. And it has infused meaning into every moment of their lives. The martyrs were able to suffer like they did. The stories that you read of these hero missionaries that blazed trails into places that no one had ever been before. They were able to do it because they had purpose. Real purpose. Because they realized, they realized that the purpose of God required our lives to be purposeful. That we just can't be flippant about this. So my question to you is, will you be one of them? Are you willing to be one of the people on this planet that lives with, with real, true purpose? Will you continue the work that God gave to humanity to grow his kingdom in the hearts and lives of your fellow man? Are you willing to do that? Or... Are we going to drop the ball? So I asked the worship team to play this song. And we're just going to do this one song in response. And as usual, guys, you know, the, you know how we do it. The altar's up here. If you're too scared to get out of your seat and come to an altar, there's no way you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus. I love you, but that's just the truth, okay? But this song is just called Missionary Anthem. It says, For the Lamb is conquered, and I will follow him to the ends of the earth, and I will follow him. Jesus, you're worthy of every tribe and tongue. It's all for your glory till every soul is one. And here's what I want. I don't want you to sing it unless you mean it. One of my favorite preachers, he said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. So let's not be liars. But if you can't sing this yet, if you're not in a place where you, can, you feel like you can sing it, it just means that God hasn't done the work in you yet. And that's okay. That's okay because this is a process. None of us are finished on this side of heaven. Amen? But if you can't sing it yet, and God still needs to do a work in you, then what you need to do is press in to the person that you know God can do it through. Do you understand what I mean? To get close to them, to be vulnerable with them, to talk about where you're struggling. Hey, I, I just don't have real relationships. Hey, I just don't have real responsibility about life. Hey, I just don't have real devotions. Because if you ain't got that, you're not going to find, feed, and fight. So if you, if you don't feel like sitting in a lie, which please don't, then summon up the courage to pray with your small group leader. To pray with somebody that you trust and you know they have a walk with Jesus. And it's real simple, right? There's no shame in that because we're all growing together. Amen? Let's pray.